Chapter 5 of Joaquin the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Joaquin the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a romance founded on truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 5. Joaquin had borne his durance with the most perfect resignation. He could not help laughing to himself at his ridiculous position, and was astonished that the Tahomes, not exactly accounted as copper-faced Chevalier Bayards, should ever have had pluck enough to see out an exploit so risky. After two days' journey, the little company gained the entrance to Tejon Pass, situated a few miles from the San Francisco Rancho. They had the fortune there to meet with one of their supporters, Mountain Jim, who, on having heard the story of their adventure, went back to the settlement from which he brought the vestments of which they stood in need, and besides furnished them with three horses. One of them, a splendid animal, black without one white hair, elegantly bridled and saddled, was made a present to the chief with a colt's revolver and a knife. Thus was Joaquin late a defenseless fugitive, quickly turned into the redoubtable king of cutthroats. Well-clad, booted, and armed, by means of the branch resources of the association formed and directed by his genius from plunder. All being well once more, Joaquin, Felix, and Gonzales took up their love lasses on the crupper and went off at full speed in the direction of San Gabriel. Cardoza followed them on foot, they did not reach that place until far into the night. On entering their place of meeting, an out-of-the-way house, they unexpectedly found Gueta and Valenzuela with their commands. Returned to Sonora sooner than had been calculated, and not finding their outlaw general at Arroyo Cantuva, they had preferred to try a new expedition of ravaging rather than rust and idleness. They had committed numerous depredations since their return in the neighborhood of San Gabriel, but they had brought the attention of General Bean upon them, and he had so hotly chased them that they had only escaped two or three brushes by superior running. That man must die, said Joaquin. He has become too dangerous to us, and we will have to rub him out before we will pull up stakes hereabouts. Death, death to the general, was the unanimous cry. The conversation turned next on the trip to Sonora. The marauders told their commander that the stock runoff had been placed safely on the farm which he had designated. The gang was abundantly supplied with food, clothes, liquors, and cigars, so they made up their minds to spend two or three weeks in this location. In the meantime, Gonzales and Cardoza were sent on a private mission to the Santa Buenaventura Rancho, which was where the Californian highway chief took refuge in imminent danger. Several days afterwards, Captain Harry Love, deputy sheriff then of Los Angeles County, who knew Gonzales by sight, perceived him with Cardoza near Buenaventura and instantly set to work to secure and give him over to justice. After having patiently watched them, he saw them go into a little grocery or doggery situated on a cross path through the mountains. The captain took up his position behind a rock and kept a steady lookout. 
Twenty minutes or so elapsed when Harry, beginning to find the bandits stay rather long, left his hiding place and proceeded toward the shanty. At the moment of his stepping up to it, Cardoza came out, but alone, and took the mountain road. Love sprang upon him, but the brigand gave him the slip and took to his heels at a fast pace. A couple of balls whistled after him, one of which furrowed his skull while the other sent flying into splinters the angle of a boulder which the fugitive leaped around and behind which he vanished. The captain, who did not greatly hold the capture of Cardoza to heart, turned all his attention thereupon on Gonzales, whom he knew to be a desperate scoundrel, whereas he could only suspect the fled one on the birds of a feather flock together principle. On rushing into the cabin, pistol in hand, expecting to have a fierce and bloody tussle, he was astonished to see the thief drunk on the trodden earth floor. Half an hour after, by which time he had brought the drunkard around by shaking him and dousing him with water, the two were jogging along over the road to the chief town of the county. Cardoza saw them from a distance, and he lost no time to inform his superior of it. The latter, followed by Mountain Jim and by the whole of Valenzuela's gang, flew in all haste with the intention of surrounding the captor and delivering their entrapped brother. They traveled all night and, at dawn, came at length upon the two. Gonzales heard their signal and responded to it by turning in the saddle and waving his scarf. Harry, on his side, felt what was the jeopardy in which he was placed riding alone with so dangerous a companion, and on seeing the latter's appeal, which treachery broke all tacit faith between them, he put a bullet in Gonzales's heart. A glance behind him showed a whirling column of dust in which rode a troop of horses as swift as a wind. He gave his steed the spur and rode on at that tearing, breakneck gait which the rangers know how to make a nag take. A few minutes afterwards, the would-be rescuers pulled up at the spot where the prisoner had fallen. Finding him free by death, they yelled with rage and disappointment. They could not do anything, for, with the start the captain had, the best of Morgan or Eclipse blood could scarcely have overtaken him before he rattled into town with the news of having cleared the roads of one red-handed rover. On the baffled robbers returning to San Gabriel, Joaquin learned that three-fingered Jack and his division were at Los Angeles and that Captain Wilson, deputy sheriff of Santa Barbara County, had visited San Gabriel the night before with the design of seeking the head of the highwaymen whom he had sworn to take, dead or alive. In eagerness to see Jack, Joaquin took two of his boldest rogues with him and went down to Los Angeles where he found his lieutenant. The latter reported that he had burnt, ten miles out of San Gabriel, a house of which all the people had been massacred one after another as they tried in agony to flee through the flames. The chief remained several days there in his old asylum. One evening, as he went the rounds to gather the news, he heard that Captain Wilson had put up at the hotel, speaking openly of the resolve he had made to put an end shortly to the criminal career of the young terror of the Placers. The next evening, a couple of native miners got into a row in front of that hotel, and a crowd speedily collected to witness the fight. Like others, Captain Wilson ran down into the street in order to look at the struggle. 
A horseman was beside him at the outskirts of the ring, who bent down to say in his ear, I am Joaquin. Wilson started, instinctively caught at the horse's reins, but they had been already jerked away, and as he lifted his head, a bullet penetrated it, and he fell under the feet of the bystanders, breathing his last. With a loud re-utterance of his outcry, the Sonoran spurred from the spot. The quarrel between the Californians had been a trick invented by Jack of the Three Fingers merely to draw Wilson out of the hotel and give his commander an opening for the assassination. After a short conference with his lieutenants, the leader sent Valenzuela and his men, including Mountain Jim and Cardoza, into San Diego County. Their orders were to run off all the livestock, equine, that they could, and come across and take them to the depot at Arroyo Cantuva. In the meantime, he retraced his steps to San Gabriel with Jack and some others. At the end of a week or so, Luis Guerrera, who had been sent to spy the movements of General Bean, saw the latter one evening leaving his dwelling in the town to ride to a piece of property which he owned some miles distant. Joaquin, the spy, and three-fingered Jack started personally on the mission and ambushed themselves on the highway about a mile from the general's destination. When he came abreast of the waylayers, they leaped out altogether on him, and despite a vigorous and gallant defense, the bandits rendered useless the weapons which Bean carried. Guerrera and Jack pulled him out of the saddle, and their master twice buried his knife in the brave heart and stretched the man at his feet. The three-fingered miscreant, to satisfy his brutal instincts, concluded his share in the atrocity by clapping a six-shooter to the corpse's head and emptying half the barrels in the fractured skull. This awful execution finished, the actors fled to their fellows with whom they went northerly into Calaveras County, blazing their path by a long series of robberies. The month of August was dying out in 52 when the scourge of the Golden State set foot in the town of Jackson. One evening, as he was strolling about unattended, he encountered a young man of the name of Joseph Lake, who had been known by him before he had taken to the road. They had worked share and share in the mines on the Stanislaus and had been intimate during some time. After a friendly greeting, the outlaw turned bridle and, for several minutes, rode on silently by the other's side, boot to boot. At last, gently tapping Lake on the shoulder, he said in a voice a little affected by emotion, Joe, there's no use talking. You know what I was and what I am nowadays. But I swear to you before heaven, injustice and tyranny drove me to it. So say all such men. He who avenges a wrong on the committer of it may be pardoned by his fellow man, but there can be no excuse to the person who wars against society and deals his blows alike at old and young, innocent and guilty. I don't ask you to like me and to esteem me now, continued Joaquin, for you are an honest fellow, but I beg a favor of you. Don't betray me to those who do not know my real name and character here. Joaquin, answered the other, it's true that we were hand in hand together in the old days. We were as thick as brothers. So we would be still if you had kept in the honest man's path. But the papers are canceled today, and there's too wide a gulch between us. You're right there, Joe, said the Sonoran. 
but for all that you won't betray me. Though the Americans are my deadly enemies, I love you for the sake of the past, and I'll be damned sorry to harm you. But I will have to kill you, rest assured, if you speak one word of this meeting of ours. Never fear, replied Lake. No danger of that. But you need not be too free of threats. Thus they parted. The chief of the cutthroats took a roundabout way to reach his retreat, while his former friend went on the road which led him to the little hamlet of Ornitas, where he lived. Lake thought over the whole during the night, and came to the conclusion that it was his duty to waken the countrymen to the fact of the dreaded banditti no doubt being in seclusion so near, and he told of his meeting with Murrieta. Only a few feet from Lake, as he was acquainting his friends with this, was half reclining a Mexican wrapped up in his blanket, who seemed to be equally wrapped up in the puffing of his cigarettes, one of which he offered to the American with that charming gracefulness inborn in the Mexicans, the Spanish, and the Italians. About three hours afterwards, a man whose horse was standing a little way from him walked up slowly to a party chatting in front of a shop, of which one was Joe Lake. Friend, come here a moment, if you please, was the politely intoned desire coming from the heavy black beard of the stranger. Joe, you're wanted, said his friends, pushing him toward the collar. Do you know me, Joe? asked the latter. Why, I know your voice, I think, but... The false beard fell off his face. Ha! You are... Joaquin, you betrayed me, sir. With the words, a bullet flew at Lake, and he dropped dead with a shattered skull. Thanks to the celerity of himself and of his horse, the murderer ran unscathed the gauntlet of shots. In a few minutes, he was descried on top of a hill in the distance, leading away some forty or fifty mounted men. The robbers, the robbers, was the cry of all, to which a shout, made faint by the space between them, fiercely, if low, responded. End of chapter 5